1: Welcome to the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me today, as always, is Joe Healy. Joe, we are we're rolling along through October here. Uh, we got playoff baseball going. How uh, how do you kind of engage with the
2: MLB playoffs? Yeah, I try, so I'll be honest. I, I watch as much of it as I as I can. I, I'm you know locked into it every night. The problem is, you know, I'm kind of an old man at 31 years old, and some of these late nights can really wear you down. I mean, I even when they don't run super late, I mean. I love it. There's nothing better than October baseball um, at the big league level. But but man, I, I it's the time of year when it, it's kind of it, it's it's excellent on one end of the spectrum, and it's also on the other end of the spectrum the time when you you understand why sometimes it can be a little bit difficult for the fair weather fan to really get involved in the baseball playoffs.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's a fun time of year to be around the office. Uh, it's just a fun time of year with uh, with baseball in general. I um, compiled a, a list of all the. The players on postseason rosters, where they went to college, and I learned that the, there are four schools tied with four four players on rosters. Uh, Joe, you haven't seen this list yet. Do you want to? Do you want to give a guess at at any of those four schools? No. Okay. Um, I
2: mean, I, <laughs> LSU. I don't know. I mean, L- LSU I is say, on there. Yes.
1: Okay. Uh, so it's it's Florida LSU Louisville and Cal State Fullerton four four powers uh, no real surprises there if um, you know we're, we're not talking about you know Odu has three I think that that would that would stump some people Very if uh, yeah. if if I told you you know guess any of the ones with three so yeah it's uh it's fun to, to see these guys you know move on and and then compete in in professional baseball at the highest level and um you know always a good time of year for for college fans uh you know to check back in with those players and and for you know just for college players i know a lot of coaches want their guys to be watching as much baseball as they can this time of year because uh you know obviously this is the best doing it at at a high high level every night so it's a it's a very exciting uh time of year uh we are not going to talk too much about the playoffs though you can check out um during the playoffs baseball america has a daily podcast with jj cooper and friends um kind of a revolving cast there uh breaking down what happened uh the previous night so if you're interested in that it, it's in your baseball america podcast feed so you can check that out today on the college podcast we are going to have georgia shortstop cam Shepard join us uh cam is a senior this year. He made the decision uh, pretty quickly after Georgia's season ended last year that he was going to be coming back for his senior year. And, you know, he's he's going to lead a, a pr- very talented Georgia team, uh, at least from a defensive standpoint. He um, He's just been a, an absolute lockdown shortstop really from day one for the Bulldogs. And that's very vital to their pitching and defense philosophy there, I think. A lot of the attention on Georgia this year is going to focus on Emerson Hancock and Cole Wilcox in the rotation, uh, but the defense behind them is very important, and when you have a guy like Cam Shepard at shortstop, that's obviously a very good cog to build around. So we're going to talk to Cam a little bit about that, a little bit about his uh, his senior season that's upcoming, the decision to, to come back, and um, you know all things Georgia uh, with, with Cam Shepard. Before we get to that, I want to mention, uh, again, Head of the Class, Baseball America's new college baseball book. If you've been listening to the podcast this fall, you've heard me talk about it. Uh, we are looking back at the last four decades of college baseball, all of the, the best players, best programs, uh, best moments, coaches, national champions. It's all in there. Uh, it's a very exciting uh, book to to have seen come together uh, putting the finishing touches on it now. And, uh, you know, it, it's been a fun trip down memory lane for me, and I'm sure it will be for any of our readers or, or listeners here on the podcast. You're listening to a college baseball podcast. I feel like you're probably pretty interested in college baseball. And this book is uh, just a fantastic look into the the last four decades. And, um, you know, we, we also look a little further back. Uh, we have a, a breakdown or, or a an introduction, uh, looking at that goes all the way back to, to before World War II, even before the College World Series started, and uh, you know that, frankly, I didn't know a whole lot about. Uh, so that was that was very educational, uh, and, and and just to to look at you know the the rise of uh, what college baseball was once the the World Series began and once it got situated in Omaha. Of course, you have all those USC titles in that period, and then. In the last four decades, just to see the growth of, of college baseball has, uh, you know, and, and examine that on a, a little more detailed level has, uh, has been very interesting. On Twitter, our, uh, our editor, Matt Eddy, who's kind of leading this project, uh, is kind of a tease. He mentioned that LSU was the program of the decade by a, uh, by a formula that we've been using here at Baseball America uh, for, for many years, created by, by Jim Callis. Uh, so that's how far that goes back. Uh, and LSU, if you take it over the last four decades, they are the number one team. Joe, is that, uh, is that surprising in any way, given they won six national titles in the time span we're talking about?
2: Yeah, no surprise at all there. And it's it's kind of um, not to take anything away from what they did, because it's obviously incredible and, and well-deserved. But um, it, it's, it's the kind of run that, uh, you know, you just aren't going to probably see in college baseball. I mean, we we've kind of beat this dead horse throughout the season when we were talking about things like the possibility of Florida State, for example, missing the postseason last year. It's just the parody is such that, you know, in college baseball, there's no uh, there's no real guarantee year to year of your level of success. And certainly that level of success, um, I think will probably be something we don't see ever again. I mean, there are other examples, Arizona State, once upon a time, USC, once upon a time, um, that stuff's tough to recreate, you know, probably was even tough to recreate back then, but they pulled it off. But now that kind of stuff is is absolutely unheard of.
1: It's truly remarkable. And, it, it, you know, Skip Bertman instrumental in that, but it's obviously transcended uh, that, that one amazing dynasty that that he created there that what they've done to keep it going and what pulmonary has done to to keep them going in this decade has been truly remarkable as well i know that uh their fans want more than the one national title he's delivered in the last 10 years but you know they're they're always one of it seems like every year they're a national seed and and in omaha in the mix and so i it's uh it's getting harder to win a national title, as we've said. Uh, but what, they, what LSU has accomplished over the last uh, 30 or so years, um, very, very impressive. And so I think that fans of, of the LSU Tigers would be, will be very interested in the book. But a- anyone, again, that's listening to this podcast, you're, you're a college baseball fan. I, I think the it, head of the class, uh, our, our new college baseball book, will uh, very much interest you. And you can pre-order it at store.baseballamerica.com. Com. With that, I want to uh, just kind of let's just get to this uh, this interview we have with Cam Shepard, who we're very excited to talk to. Again, Georgia comes into the season as a national championship favorite, and Cam Shepard is, is going to be back at shortstop for the fourth year for the Bulldogs, looking to lead them back to Omaha, where they have not been uh, in the last decade. So let's hear what Cam has to say about this upcoming season and, and how the Bulldogs are progressing this fall. Today on the Baseball America College podcast, we're excited to be joined by Cam Shepard, Georgia shortstop. Cam, how, uh, how excited are you that, that we're into fall? And I assume you guys are, are starting to, to really kind of get rolling here uh, with fall practice.
0: Yeah, it, it, it's, it's been pretty cool. Um, I mean, it's been a long time coming, You meet with individuals and workouts and everything like that. Uh, kind of getting into inner squads and all that kind of stuff. It's, just, it's exciting for the team and exciting for myself and uh, just ready to get after it.
1: So last season, uh, the season had barely ended, I feel like, by the time you, uh, you'd announced your decision that you were going to come back for your senior year. Was that an easy decision, and, and kind of what factors did you consider while you were making that decision?
0: Yeah, uh, it, was, it was a really tough decision. Uh, like you said, it, was, it almost seems like it was right after we ended. Um, but as soon as the season kind of came to an end, we got knocked out of the tournament, uh, I kind of just thought like, some, something in my heart was missing. Um, and so by the time I before I tweeted it out, I was kind of thinking of like, what, what is it? And I've always had two goals uh, coming into college. One, obviously, I want to play professional baseball and make it to the big leagues. But the other one was also to get to Omaha. Um, and, you know, that was just kind of like the basis of my decision is I wanted to give it one more shot to get it to Omaha. Uh, and I think we have a chance to do that this year with this team and uh so that that that's that's where my heart was leading me and that's what i that's what i decided to do uh was to give it one more shot and give it my best to get to omaha
1: yeah the the decision announcement was even before the draft did that so you you didn't even care what what the draft had to say was that uh did that surprise even you that that you didn't want to wait that long
0: uh no i mean i i i talked to my dad about it my family um and I didn't I didn't want to send anyone mixed messages or tell someone I was going to sign and then back out last minute and kind of, like, not seem like I was committed. So I thought it'd be best just to get out front and just to let everyone know, hey, I, I'm going to go back to college. I'm going to – that's what my heart's telling me. I want to get back to Omaha or go to Omaha. Uh, so I just didn't want to send anyone mixed messages of, like, seem like I'm almost backing out on them for whatever reason. So that's why I went ahead and did it before the draft.
2: You alluded to it in your first answer that, uh, you know, your goal is to get this team back to Omaha and and you guys are are going to be a team that's looked at as as having that opportunity. Uh, How exciting has it been to to have been a part of a core group of guys that's really brought Georgia baseball back to national prominence? Because when you came into the program, it was, I mean, frankly, a program that was kind of in in need of a jumpstart. So it has to be kind of cool for you to know that you're one of these guys that's brought it back to this point.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's been really cool uh, just to kind of see it transform in front of our eyes and kind of be a part of that um like you said my freshman year we we weren't the we weren't the best uh didn't have a great record and then going into sophomore junior year we really turned it around and you know that's pretty special to be a part of um and i think that kind of gave me even more to more motivation to all right let's get this team to omaha let's finish this thing i got one last year let's let's get to omaha which is the ultimate goal
1: what kind of vision did uh scott strickland Kind of present to you while while he was recruiting you that that made you want to jump in with the bulldogs.
0: Uh, I mean, pretty much that the the group of guys are my recruiting classes, the recruiting class that could kind of turn it around. And if you ask him the guys before me, I'm sure they got tired of Coach Strickland saying that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he he pretty much just said like, this is the group, this is the group we've been waiting on. This is the group that can turn this program around, and I think we. We came in with a lot of confidence, and, yeah, we struggled a little bit freshman year, kind of getting used to the, the level of SEC play and the, the amount of games that you have to play. Um, but, yeah, he just pretty much said, like, this is the group that he's been looking forward to, and we came in with a lot of confidence, and that's what we tried to play with on the field.
2: So, Teddy mentioned it in the introduction that you guys are, are, are rolling with fall ball now. Um, you yep. know, yours is a team that has some absolute horses on the mound. Uh, yeah, so, yeah. when you guys are doing inter-squads, who, who's the guy that when you step in the box, you just know that is not going to be a fun at-bat?
0: um i probably i mean obviously either emerson or cole uh, but at the same time i wouldn't necessarily say it's a, it's not in the fun at bat it's almost more fun because you know like this guy's a dude and it's it's a chance to see that and on your own team uh and it, it put kind of gets you to get up for the challenge um so that's kind of how i approach it uh not really that it's something that's not going to be fun and if, and if he beats me he beats me um but I'm going to give it my best effort and it's fun to be challenged and that kind of stuff.
1: You've started every game at shortstop since you got to Georgia. Yep. What allowed you to be that prepared to, to go right when you got there as a freshman?
0: I think it's just all mental. Um, over the course of the season, there's a lot going to be a lot of ups and downs, but I think mentally you kind of just have to approach every day, exactly the same, whether you're 0 for four, or four for four, uh, you kind of just have to stay even keeled. And that's kind of how I approach it. And, that's. I feel like that's allowed me to be ready for every game. I'm not. I don't really get up or down, uh, and I just have the same pregame routine and just go about it that way. And yeah, that's. I mean, that's pretty much it. Just stay even keeled and just to take everything like it's a new day.
1: Do you think that approach helped you last year in the SEC tournament? You against a And M. You guys were. We're getting no hit, and then you're able to come back, and you hit the walk off in that game. If I'm remembering this right, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that is that what allows you to have success in that kind of situation?
0: Yeah, I think I think for sure. Um, I mean, no matter how big the moment is, at the end of the day, you're still playing the game of baseball, the game you love. So why why put added pressure on yourself and say, oh, this pitch is I've got to do something with this pitch. I've got to do something with this at bat. Because at the end of the day. Yeah, you might look back on it and say, wow, if I would have done this differently, the game could have been differently, but there's so much – you still have to get 27 outs, or you have to still make 27 outs. So, I just think taking the, every at-bat and every pitch as the exact same, I feel like it helps me be successful in those kind of situations.
2: So it's not just that you've played a ton of games at shortstop and been durable there. You're also one of the better defenders at that position, which is a premium position. How much pride, first of all, do you just take in the defensive side of the game? And then what does that preparation look for you when you go into an offseason wanting to, you know, just get a little bit sharper on defense? What does that look like for you? What are those things you focus on?
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, I take pride in it. Um, it's not something that is the most glamorous thing uh, from people on the outside. Most people just look at hitting statistics and that kind of stuff. Um, but I take a lot of pride in my defense in, in the off season. Uh, I just feel like it's all about getting good reads and a good, good first step. So that starts as something as simple as diet, uh, staying on top of that. So yeah, I can, I can stay quick in the field, light on my feet. Um, and pretty much just a lot of speed and agility, I try to keep my feet fast. Um, so I can feel the ball with my feet and then, or, and then you start getting into hand-eye coordination. So you start mixing in feet drills and hand drills and just that kind of stuff. Try to stay, uh, consistent with that
1: kind of thing and uh just go from there yeah this is a fun time of the year in the baseball calendar right. with, with the playoffs going on how much uh, yeah. are you able to watch i know you have, you have a lot of stuff going on but how much are you able to watch right. and, and what do you enjoy about october playoff baseball
0: uh yeah i watch as much as i can uh, i feel like when i mean the more you can watch the more you can learn so why not take every opportunity you can to watch it Big league game, uh, and then for October baseball, it's just the excitement. I mean, I watched the Braves game last night. We, me and a few of my buddies were at my house watching the game, and it's just every pitch seems huge. Uh, I mean, with all the all the relievers, all the pitching changes they're making. I mean, every single pitch, every single inning, every single out matters, uh, and that's probably the most fun thing to watch because I feel like sometimes uh, in the middle of the season, the season gets so long, the uh, the excitement from the from the fans' perspective and all that kind of stuff kind of goes down so i feel like once the season's on the line the excitement and everything with it that, it's pretty cool to watch on tv for sure
2: that game uh the, the game between st louis and atlanta game 1 was uh, quite a uh, quite a battle i mean has, has your heart rate come down yet or do you still feel like you're working with a little bit of an elevated heart rate <laughs>
0: after that oh man that that was, that was crazy the, the the emotional swings in that game was wild uh but you know i i i've come down a little bit uh, i'm just excited to to see the game tonight and kind of see how everything's going to happen tonight
1: is there any shortstop or player i guess in general when you were growing up that you kind of modeled yourself after or just really liked watching
0: yeah i uh i like watching brandon crawford i know he's a west coast guy but brandon crawford's definitely a guy that i kind of look up to and try to model my game after for sure yeah
1: that's a that's a really good one not 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 a bad choice at all we wanted to get a couple lighter questions in for you here Start with your walk-up music. How do you choose your walk-up music? And are there is there a leader in the clubhouse for this year? Are you going to change it up? What what are you working with this year?
0: I haven't chosen. I've I've gotten down to a few. I'm more of like an old school, like R and B, hip hop kind of guy for my walk-up. Uh, I don't really like going with the new school stuff. I feel like the old school is just kind of more my vibe. Uh, but I'm debating between a few, and I haven't quite decided yet. But I, I got a, I got a little bit of time to try to figure that out and. Usually everyone tries to kind of have a little fun with it, tries to represent kind of who they are off the field, a little bit of personality. Uh, there's not really one guy that kind of leads. That. Everyone's kind of just on their own, just picking whatever they want. feels like is best for them.
2: Yeah, so I'm going to jump in, and we're going we're gonna to take a little bit away from baseball and talk about something else I enjoy, which is food. Um, oh, yeah. what's, the, what's the best Athens lunch spot?
0: Athens lunch spot. Uh, I'd probably say a spot called Cali and Tito's. That's probably my go-to for lunch. It's, uh, it's like a Caribbean-type t- joint, and it's like, so I get like a chicken quesadilla, and you can sit outside, and, it's, and with the Georgia weather right now, it's a little hot, but if it cools down a little bit, that's definitely the go-to.
2: Yeah, I can, I can certainly, yeah, uh, that, that sounds about right. I mean, any place where you can get like a, like a taco or a quesadilla, something like that, and you get a little bit outside eating potentially, I mean, that's when you really kind of, I feel like that's when you really hit the sweet spot.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. Can't go wrong with it.
1: On a similar line, when you're at Chipotle, what, what's your go-to order at Chipotle?
0: Chipotle, gosh dang, that's my favorite place. I don't know how <laughs> you guys do uh, that. <laughs> uh, you know, but I'm a, I'm a pretty simple guy. I pretty much just go with the pinto beans, and I go extra chicken on it, got to get a lot of protein, and then I just go cheese. Three things, plain and simple.
1: That's, uh, that, they must love you there. That's, that's so, so right through the line.
0: Yeah, I, I get in a little break through the line when I come through.
1: And uh, who would you say the toughest pitcher you faced in your career is? I mean, there are a lot of really good pitchers in the SEC, a lot of good pitchers on your own team even, but who do you think the toughest pitcher you've faced is?
0: Mm, I'd probably say Casey Mize. Casey Mize for sure. I mean, he he could run it up there pretty good, and then he'd throw that splitter on you, and it'd just fall right off the table. So I I would definitely say Casey Mize.
1: All right. We got one more for you here, Cam. Just what's your favorite part about being a part of of Georgia? I mean, that's a, it's a great college environment, great college town. What's your favorite part of of being a student athlete at Georgia?
0: Uh, I would definitely say just being around the guys, honestly. I mean, we got a lot of talented guys on the team, but they're all like great individuals. Uh, I mean, we, we hang out all the time off the field, just pretty much doing whatever. Uh, And I don't think I'd want to be with any different group of guys. Um, just every, everyone's really down to earth, good guys. And that's, that's what I enjoy doing.
1: Awesome. Well, that sounds like a fun group to be a part of, should be a fun spring to follow the Bulldogs. We're going to be excited to do that. I know you're going to be excited to, to be out there playing. Uh, so we want to sure. thank you today for, uh, for joining the baseball America college podcast.
0: Yep. Thank you guys.
1: All right. Thank you again to Cam Shepard for joining us here on the baseball America college podcast, Joe, Cam, uh, is is going to play a big role. He's sounds like he's very excited to to be back for his senior year. I mean, just what what are you now looking for out of out of both camp, but but also the, kind of the bulldogs as a whole as we look to twenty twenty.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like a guy uh, who really has a clear picture of what he wants for this program in 2020. And that's obviously to get to Omaha. And, and certainly I think they're going to have the pieces to do that. It takes a lot to get there. You know, we just kind of talked about that and, and how difficult it is to do that in this day and age college baseball, but they're going to have the pieces to do that. And so I'm for one, just watching to see, you know, some, sometimes, I mean, this sounds like a cliche and it's hard to pinpoint this, but there are certainly teams that you can just see it in their eyes early in the season. This is a hungry team to get back to that point. And you mentioned that it's a program that hasn't been there in more than a decade at this point. Um, and so it's a proud program looking to get back to that point. So I'm, I'm kind of curious to see that. And, uh, you know, he he made a great point about, you know, so often it's just easy to everybody looks at offensive stats and then calls it a day on, on players and obviously more astute observers and, um, you know, like, you know, folks at Baseball America, we're paying attention to the more nuanced parts of the games. But even I have to admit that sometimes I'm guilty of when I'm looking at returning players for a roster, just kind of looking at the offensive side and the, the pitching side and not paying as much attention to the defense and so for one i i appreciated him saying that because i think there's a lot of truth in that and sometimes you can underrate the importance of a guy like a cam shepherd coming back even though he he certainly is an offensive contributor as well um so that's something i'll be i'll be looking for is kind of seeing the way his defense kind of helps them go i mean if, if he was missing from the lineup it it would be you'd look at the offensive contributions he made and talk about the losses there. But um losing a starting shortstop would is, is a big hole defensively. And so I I you know, I'll be curious to see uh in that case I would have been curious to see how they'd fill it in. In this case, I'll I'll be curious to see him ca- captain that defense for uh for one more go round. But uh certainly was a, a fun interview and and uh, really enjoyed talking to him and and you know, you mentioned it, but this twenty twenty Georgia team is gonna be one to watch.
1: Yeah, I mean that was uh something that I remember talking to uh, Scott Strickland about last year was, you know Kim Shepard hit like two twenty last year, I think it was. And at times it was worse than that. And everyone around Georgia knew how important he was to the team, how how uh, you know vital it was to have him in there. And uh, you know, Strickland was talking about just, Okay, yeah, the the batting average is not what it was in years past necessarily, but you know you look at what he does defensively, and he's always impacting the game. And you know, to his credit, he went through a bit of a slump. Um, I think it was in like March and April, came out of it near the end of the season. And uh, like I mentioned during the interview, he had. A big walk-off home run at the SEC tournament. You know he's a uh, he's a huge piece to have back for them. I, like I, again, I I do think a lot of the attention this year is just going to be on Hancock and Wilcox because those are two guys that can go in the top ten picks in the draft. Uh, but when you have that guy who's so experienced and so steady and just so good at such a premium position, I mean that's a that's a huge boost for this Georgia team. And, and when you look at it. I mean, yes, Vanderbilt's going to come into the season, presumably as the favorite in the SEC East. uh, But Georgia, overall in the SEC, that might be the second-best team uh, in the league. I mean, I think if you look at the West, things are a little more up in the air in in certain ways. Mississippi State, and, uh, you know, obviously they have a couple big pieces to replace. And, you know, Arkansas, you know, lost Dom Fletcher in center field. Obviously they have a lot back, but, you know, you lose Fletcher, you lose Campbell. The the SEC feels like this year it might be at, at least at the very top, leaning towards the East Division and George is a big part of
2: that. I think it's worth taking a minute too to really look at the big picture with George and appreciate the fact that they're back here. You know, I, I asked Cam a little bit about, you know, how proud he is to to have been a part of getting this program back to where it was because I mean Scott Strickland was four years into his tenure, which was was Cam's freshman year and, and they had really struggled. Um, and you know, there was you're starting to wonder, I think it was reasonable to wonder if Scott Strickland was, was going to be the guy to get this program turned around. And um, to uh, George's credit, they were patient with them and, and gave him that fifth year, which turned out to be a big year. And they, you know, ended up posting a regional. Um, but, It was this was felt like it was very close to not really coming together. And, and, you know, it's funny to hear Cam mention that, hey, he sold us on this is the class I've been waiting for. Uh, And turns out he was right. (laughs) You know, I mean, that was the group that that really spearheaded this program getting back to where they are. And so I think it's really, you know, you don't often see, you know, a a program kind of get to that point where there's kind of questions about whether or not they're going to get it. the ship righted and see that end up happening. A lot of times the plug gets pulled, a lot of times thing they get impatient and, and, and it's time to, to hit the restart button again. And Georgia didn't do that and now you're seeing the fruits of that labor. The
1: There's a story that is mostly already researched. And it's just waiting for me to finish writing it that I was trying to write in the spring and ran out of time, but it's it's going to get done. I, I, I very much intend to get done. And it's about how you know some athletic directors exercise patience with their coaches and that, you know, everyone wants, you know, all this instant success. And you can find a lot of cases of very quick turnarounds in college baseball. Uh, Obviously, Vanderbilt, uh, you know, 15 years ago now, uh, Tim Corbin takes Vanderbilt to Super Regionals in his second season after Vanderbilt hadn't made a regional appearance in something like 20 years. Butch Thompson at Auburn turned that real quick. But there are places that you can't turn as quickly. And, you know, if you look at what Arizona State has done now, if you look at what Georgia is doing, uh, you know, I think those are two places where there was a lot of talk about hot seat, a lot of talk about, like, is are these guys the right guys for the job? Can they get it done? And then given a little bit of patience, from their athletic directors, they now are getting it done. And when I was talking with uh, with Coach Strickland for that story, you know, he talked about uh, what Cam mentioned that he just kept saying that you know we just got to get to this class, we just got to get these guys in here, we got to get there, and then we'll be fine. And just the way that college baseball recruiting now works, where you know it's you you know you come in like these coaches come in the end of June, start of July usually. And then school starts, you know, six six weeks, two months later, like there's not a whole lot they can do about that first group. So that's almost just like whatever. And, and a lot of kids defect uh, these days when, when there is a coaching change. So now you're talking about a full year before you can even really impact a recruiting class more than one or two guys. And then even then, most of those kids are already locked in because signing day is in November. So you're hiring a coach who effectively can't do much with their first two classes there are some exceptions to that obviously I know that that, that can be worked around but it, it just makes the it, that it that much harder for a place especially in a powerful conference like the SEC where to go up somebody ha- you, you have to be passing really really high-end schools and, and so that's what what Georgia did and and this class Shepherd's class uh, you know it really kind of, was, was the impetus for, for this program to, to start moving in the right direction. They still finished under 500 his freshman year, but then uh, you know his sophomore year, they're able to host a regional. Last year, uh, again, they take another step forward. They're the number four overall seed in the NCAA tournament. And of course, it ended uh, not the way they wanted it to, getting upset by Florida State, but you can see the progression. And now, I mean, they looked like an Omaha contender last year, but now they certainly look like an Omaha favorite. We're talking about a team that is probably going to rank in the top five of the preseason. So I, you know, the, there's a lot on Georgia right now, but the it, it is very interesting to just watch the progression, the steady progression, really, of the program over the last three or four years. All right. So we talked about Georgia with regards to interview we just did with Cam Shepard, and You know, Cam Shepard has a chance to be a really impactful senior. And I don't know if this is a trend in college baseball because, I mean, there have been seniors playing college baseball throughout college baseball history. But for a while there, it felt like there were just a lot fewer seniors on, you know, highly competitive teams that could go out and, and, and compete for spots in Omaha uh, at least among the power conferences that there were it got to be the point where if you were a drafted junior you were going to sign probably because there just wasn't much leverage for you coming back as as a college senior and while that that part remains true it does feel like we have more players choosing to return for their senior seasons around the country but you know especially in the SEC you know, last year, of course, Vanderbilt went to the national title with half a dozen seniors on the roster. Uh, some really impactful ones like Ethan Paul starting every day at shortstop, Julian Infante continuing to be a part of the lineup that he was in every day for four years. And Patrick Raby on the mound ends his career as you know, one of the um, you know best starting pitchers statistically in, in Vanderbilt history in terms of wins and, and games started and, and things like that. Of course, Jake Mangum and Antoine Duplantis made a lot of noise chasing the SEC hits record. Noah Saun from Navy was a Golden Spikes finalist. So, Joe, what I want to talk about today is who do we think uh, you know can make an impact like those guys did in 2019? I mean, Cam Shepard, Georgia, an obvious uh, obvious pick there, coming back like we've mentioned to to play shortstop for the Bulldogs. But who else are you looking at? that can make an impact this year, and I, I think one of the guys that you have in mind is uh, is going to be playing his ba- his senior year, not too far from where Cam is playing his.
2: Yeah, I mean, one of the guys that came to mind for me right away, and it, it, it's kind of a similar conversation to Cam Shepard, and that's Austin Wilhite at Georgia Tech, uh, their shortstop. And he's pretty similar in terms of, you know, a steady handed shortstop, has played a lot of games at shortstop. You know, the glove is kind of ahead of the bat. Um, but it's not to say he's not productive. He actually showed a little bit of pop last year for the Yellow Jackets. So you know, we talk about with Cam the value of having a veteran shortstop who knows the position, knows the conference, knows the high level of play that's required of that position in that league. Uh, Austin Wilhite's kind of a similar, uh, a similar story there. So I think that's going to be a key piece for for Georgia Tech. Uh, another should be another talented team for Georgia Tech, but I think he's going to be, he's going to be a big part of it there. Um, a couple other guys that stood out to me, one, this is kind of an under the radar name, but Lyle Lockhart at Houston, uh, was a two-way guy who kind of has emerged. His career has been a little bit interesting in that he was more of a bat first two-way guy at, at some points of his career. Last year was definitely more of a, an arm first two-way guy, uh, kind of led the rotation for the Cougars last year and maybe was like a little bit over his skis in the role. He didn't, he didn't do poorly by any stretch of the imagination. Mid threes ERA ended up throwing 80 plus innings for him. That's not to say he didn't do well, but it feels like maybe there's a little bit more there. Last year, maybe he was a little bit green for that role, uh, but he had some big moments for them. So I'll be interested to see if he kind of takes another step forward in his development there. Uh, Rankin Woley a name that came up to me. Auburn's going to have a couple holes to fill offensively. So a guy like Woley, who's not only been in the battles with Auburn, but also previously was at LSU. So he certainly is no stranger to the SEC. I think he's an important piece there. Uh, the FSU bullpen has a handful of guys. Antonio Velez, Clayton Kwiatkowski, Chase Haney. Those are all really veteran guys who've thrown a lot of innings. Duke is the same way. Uh, Chase Cheek was the guy that stood out to me. You know, really athletic guy. Good you know, good bat. Uh, good speed. Loved the team in steals last year. Uh, but two-way guy Matt Mervis is also a senior. Bill Choleri is a senior. Um, And one more was uh, even more under the radar than Lockhart is Mike Antico at St. John's uh, hit almost 400 last year. I think he's hitting something like 350 over his career, been a four-year contributor for the Johnnies. Uh, He'll be back for one more go around. Um, You know, he kind of made their offense go last year on a team that they really kind of struggled to score runs. So uh, with a little bit of help for him there, maybe his numbers are even a little bit more or even show a little bit more improvement as a senior. But, uh, you know, I don't know that this senior class necessarily, I mean, we knew going into the season that. Jake Mangum and Antoine Duplantis and Noah Song were bona fide stars at the college level. And this year, it feels like there are some of those guys. I know you've got some on your list that have already made big impacts in college baseball. But it feels like there maybe aren't those upper crust guys who are already bona fide stars. And we're kind of betting on projection or betting on guys that maybe had some down years, on uh, betting on guys to rebound from that. And, and that's what we're looking at with this senior class as opposed to what we saw last year.
1: Yeah, there's definitely not a guy like a Mangum uh, or a Duplantis that, you know, is going to be chasing such a prominent record. You know, and, and of course, Jake Mangum last year was the most famous college baseball player in the country. That does not exist in this year's senior class. Uh, I like the Antico call. Uh, I heard some really nice things about him up on the Cape Cod League. Uh, this summer. And I, I think that if St. John's is going to make any kind of noise this year, I think, and, and they definitely can, I think he's going to be a big part of that. So I, I like that call. Lyle Lockhart, going to be very interesting. And like you said, how's he going to get used? And then what what's he going to do with that? Because, you know, Houston could use him to, as they look to bounce back from a subpar for the Cougars season, but, you know, still a pretty Pretty good year overall, but they're going to be looking to get back into regionals in, in 2020. So for me, the the name that springs to mind first is John McMillan at Texas Tech. Like Lockhart, he's been a two-way guy in the past, but at this point, pretty much just a pitcher. That was a big, big get for Texas Tech to get him back for his senior year. That was a guy that we were expecting to go out in the draft well enough that he would sign. Big time power arm has struggled with control at various points in his career, but when he's right, there's not a whole lot of guys out there that are like him. And so, if Texas Tech can plug him in to the rotation or maybe to a closer's role, you know, he's going to pitch impactful innings for the Red Raiders. And however it is, you know, wh- whatever role that ends up being, they have a lot of guys on the staff that. You know, they can move some pieces around. Whatever it is that, that he ends up doing, it's going to be very good, uh, you would have to imagine. and So getting him back is big as the Red Raiders try and you know, continue their, their dominance in the, in the Big 12 and, and trying to get back to Omaha uh, you know, for, for a fourth time in, in six years, I believe it is. So you know, that, that's a big piece for the Red Raiders to bring back. A couple other names that came up. Brett Auerbach at Alabama. Um, If the Crimson Tide are going to take a step forward this year and compete to get into a regional, I think he's going to play a big role. He was very good on the Cape this summer. Super versatile. I think he's going to be a pretty interesting senior sign in the draft this year just because of that versatility and the ability to get behind the plate and what he showed on the Cape just in terms of putting the bat on the ball. I, I think that that's a... That's a guy that some teams are going to be looking at taking in the in the top ten rounds or at least early on day three, just to get him into the system and and see what he can do in pro ball. Brandon Beasley at Cal Poly again. That's a team that trying to get back into regionals. They've been kind of on the cusp, kind of among the contenders in the Big West the last couple of years, but not been able to break through. You know, Beasley. They they have they've always had uh, good hitters there. Under Larry Lee, I think the Mustangs are very intriguing this year, and to have a guy like Beasley back in the lineup is significant for them. Austin Laneworthy, again, one of the more famous freshmen on this list. He, of course, hit the home run that sent the Gators to Omaha two years ago. He's back. I'll be interested to see how he gets used. Again, that's he, he's been a two-way-ish guy, almost exclusively an outfielder, but... He pitched a lot more on the Cape this summer, and maybe Florida uh, can use him out of the bullpen this year as a left-hander. Uh, certainly, we know what he can do with the bat. And he's coming off of, he didn't really have the junior season that I think people were expecting him to. I think people were looking for a breakout from him. And, you know, maybe it comes this year. So he's definitely one to watch. And then uh, in my alma mater, Ball State, John Baker coming back, he was overshadowed last year by Dre Jamison. Baker was banged up a little bit out of the out of the shoot, but then wound up, uh, you know, being an all Mac first team pitcher, very good pitcher for Ball State. It was surprising to see him fall as far as he did in the draft. And ultimately, that led to him coming back to Ball State. And, you know, that gives them a very experienced arm to to lead the staff. Uh, We talked last week about what Central Michigan's potential is in the Mac. Well, you know, if Ball State is able to challenge them, it's going to start with uh, with John Baker being, uh, you know, a, a big time force for them on Friday nights and just having that experience to to go up against any lineup uh, around the country that, that that he may face. So, I don't know. That's uh, that's what eight to ten guys that that we've kind of thrown out there as as potential impact seniors. You know, we'll see which ones of them pop. But you know, Joe, what, what kind of what do you make of the the overall trend to seniors becoming maybe a little more important in, in some of these uh, national championship contending clubs.
2: Yeah, I think it's kind of what we've talked about on the podcast before, and it's just that I think there's more emphasis put on going to college and staying in college. In the same way that I think players are seeing the value in, um, you know, if they're maybe an unpolished product coming out of high school, and and perhaps they get drafted, but maybe they feel like their ceiling's a little higher. They go to college, kind of polish off a little bit and then try to jump in the, in the draft. I think in a similar way, I think, um, you know, to your point about, it used to be kind of a sure thing if you if you get, as a junior, if you get drafted, um, oftentimes you're, you're kind of looking at signing or looking for an excuse to sign. Uh, now maybe players are taking a step back and, and saying, you know, I believe in my talent. I believe that I if I get into a minor league system, whether it's this year or next year, I'm going to move up the system because I believe in the talent I have. Let me go back, work on my craft a little bit, get a degree, and then come out next year and be a little bit more mature, a little more ready. And like I said, if if, if, if a player believes in himself that he's going to move through the system, there's you know this year versus next year. Uh, in the end, if they end up being a big leaguer, they're probably not going to look back at that one year and, and think about the year they missed riding buses in, in minor league baseball. So I just think there's a greater value put on coming back and honing your craft. And I think also from I think the other side of it, I think the programs and these coaches are, are, you know, really putting an emphasis on finding senior leadership because at the top programs, you know, you're not really used to having quality productive seniors on your roster. You might have some, some guys who have been, you know, walk-ons who have lasted or, or kind of just uh, program players who play part-time roles. But I think now we're seeing coaches put an emphasis on trying to, as, as you often hear in, in basketball, you know, get old and stay old. And sometimes that's finding players who you think are going to be around for four years. The guy who's maybe not as projectable, but can be productive at this level and filling your roster in with guys like that. Um, and, and the value that provides, you know, just in terms of the maturity and the leadership aspect and the experience and experienced teams win in the postseason. We've seen that time and again.
1: It really is unfortunate that the draft works the way it does for these kids that, you know, if you come back for your senior year, you'll kind of have to understand you're not going to be seeing a a significant signing bonus just because you have so little leverage at the negotiating table. But as unfortunate as that is for the players, and there's a lot of unfortunate financial realities in uh, professional baseball, but it is good for the program. Uh, It does give kids an opportunity to, to finish degrees in a lot of cases and, you know, just enjoy being a college student because, uh, you know, they're, like you said, you know, the alternative is out there riding buses, you know, in, in the Sally League or, or the Appy League or something. And if you can go and, and go back and, and play at, at, in an SEC stadium or, you know, wherever you've been for the last few years, a very comfortable place uh, um, and, and a place where, you know, you, you've had a lot of success. I, I can certainly understand why uh, you would want to finish your college career and take another shot. At, at a championship, or, or improving your draft stock, or, or just improving development and, and gaining a degree, whatever it is uh, that these these players are after. I, you know, it's uh, it's exciting to see. Frankly, I mean that Vanderbilt had six seniors come back last year. I, I think that's cool, and um, you know, so we'll see if that continues. It's uh, it's certainly good for the programs that can get that leadership back. Now it is October. You know, frankly, while the college baseball calendar is heating up a little bit, just in terms of fall ball, this is still uh, a little bit slower time on the calendar. And Joe, I know uh, this is a time when, when you uh, and I can uh, catch up on you know some TV viewing, some music listening, maybe that we haven't been able to get to uh, in the first half of the year. So, what what are you looking at? Um, you know, when when you have a chance, what kind of what what are you dialing up that you know maybe you haven't been able to get to earlier in
2: the year well i have uh two important off seasons uh in my life one of which is of course the uh you know the 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 baseball off season specifically the college baseball off season but then there's also the off season for the bachelor programming um i'm a big bachelor fan it's a uh, guilty pleasure of mine although you know like I feel like there's not the shame that was used to be associated with being a bachelor fan. If if you're a man, you know, there used to kind of be like this, like this shame about it. And it was, you know, Oh, well I watch it with my girlfriend or my wife or, or what have you. Um, and it just feels like there's not that anymore. I mean, goodness gracious. I mean, during the, whenever the bachelor's going on or bachelorette or what have you, I feel like every college football or college basketball beat writer that I follow on Twitter is also tweeting about the bachelor. So I'm certainly far from alone on that. And, I actually started watching it because my sister was into it and me and my sister are like 11 years apart. And so like when she was, I don't know, 15 or 16 and I was in my late twenties, we just didn't have a lot in common. So I started watching it. So it would give us something to talk about. And then I got hooked. And so that's where I'm at. Um, but that has ended. They, they do bachelor and they do bachelorette and they do a show called bachelor in paradise. Um, those are all over. Um, so lately I've gotten into this Bravo show called below deck which is a show that follows a reality show that follows the people who operate the charter yachts for really rich people. So these really rich people will pay like you know 200 grand to charter a yacht for 3 or 4 days. And so it follows the deckhands and the stewardesses and the chef and the captain as they like cater to these really wealthy people. And it is like super lowbrow reality television, but it is fantastic. It's just like such a interesting ecosystem to follow. Like it's a world that I have never experienced. I'm clearly not wealthy enough to charter my own yacht. I have never worked in that industry. So it's it's like a world that's like completely new to me. So it's kind of like learning about an industry while I watch these people have drama and (laughs) like try to hook up with each other and, you know, go out and party when they're in these places like, you know, in Croatia and Greece and the South of France and stuff like that. Um, so that's kind of what I've been barreling through lately. Um, I did not intend to land there. Uh, it was not something I sought out. Um, I just kind of was flipping through YouTube TV one night and happened upon it. I heard of the show, and um, now I'm I'm pretty much hooked. And that kind of is a guilty pleasure. That's one that uh, you listeners are lucky I'm I'm letting in on this little secret. Because I'm not I'm not that ashamed about The Bachelor, but I, I might be ashamed about Below Deck. I don't know, but I don't know. That, that's my recommendation. If you're looking for something you can just check out on and just like let your brain wander, that's that's a good one because it's uh. It's just an interesting ecosystem, and there's a lot of drama. And that's, I guess, all you're really asking for in these reality shows.
1: I can't say I've checked that one out. Uh, But, you know, it it sounds educational, so that's a a positive.
2: You're learning about maritime laws. You can write it off as that. (laughs) Uh,
1: So because it's October, I I suppose mine maybe is a little more topical. But, you know, it doesn't have to be Halloween season for me to be interested in Zombie shows slash movies, I've definitely seen not every zombie movie because there are a million of them, but a lot of them. Pretty consistently looking for new ones. I saw one, I haven't tracked this down. It's some European one uh, about zombie soccer. Very interested in getting my hands on that. I don't remember the title. I believe it's in French, if I can do that. But more, more readily available, I'm working my way. Through Santa Clarita Diet on Netflix and uh, the last season of iZombie. And while I feel like Santa Clarita Diet, because it has, you know, some pretty big time actors in it, probably doesn't feel such guilty pleasure. iZombie is a little bit teen drama-y. So that one that one probably is my my truer guilty pleasure this time of the year. Uh, it's in its fine or it, its final season wrapped. I'm trying are, to finish it.
2: Are you gonna be disappointed when that zombie soccer movie is actually it just turns out like shot for shot remakes of World Cup games <laughs> just played by zombies. Like that's all it no, is. Be amazing. <laughs> why, why would that be a disappointment?
1: <laughs> but also I've seen the trailer. And so if it's anything like the trailer, it looks amazingly terrible, which is kind of what you're going for here. I mean, like there are good movies in the genre like 28 days later, but a lot of them end up being total dreck. Uh, but like, that's, that's part of the, the charm, I guess. I don't know.
2: Not to get us completely in the, like sidetracked and in the gutter on this conversation, but like, why do you think it is, there are certain shows or genres that we as a society seem to be attracted to, not in spite of, but almost because of the campiness to it or the low production quality. Do you have any idea why that is? Cause I've been kind of fascinated by that and I'm not, I'm not. Uh, immune to that certainly I, I i feel it too but it's just kind of interesting how we so often seem to be seeking like the highest quality version of everything we, we consume and yet there are certain subsections of tv shows and movies where we we actually kind of want them to be low-key bad
1: yeah i don't know i'm not a sociologist joe i, uh, well, I took soc 100 i think it was <laughs> and um that's that's about my exposure to uh to that so if any of you guys out there listening are sociologists, yeah, sociologists, are sociologists majors, maybe even just a minor, and want to weigh in on that, you can uh, you can hit us up on Twitter. That's probably the easiest way to get hold of us. Joe is at Joe Healy BA. He would he would be very interested in hearing the answer. Yeah, please, I that's, still not, be that's not as
2: well, but yeah, that's definitely. not a lie. I would really like sociologists to tweet at me and tell me why <laughs> we enjoy campy television and movies. If
1: there if there's an article we can read, you know, something like that. Joe is at Joe Healy BA. I am at Ted Cahill. Let us know if you have other questions uh, about various pop culture or college baseball adjacent things. You can address them to us there as well, and we may address them on a future show of the Baseball America College podcast. And so to find these future episodes that I am discussing uh, or, or talking about here, make sure you are subscribed to the Baseball America College podcast on your favorite podcast app, whether that's Stitcher, Apple, Spotify. Uh, we're on pretty much any any place you can find podcasts, you can find the Baseball America podcast. So if you're subscribed, uh, you will find the latest episodes there. And if you have a chance to rate us or review us, we would appreciate that as well.
2: Or just download um, the Daggum Baseball America app.
1: You can also download the Baseball America app, which has a little tab for podcasts in it. So they all feed into that as well. So, whatever your preferred delivery method is, we got you. And speaking of things that I'm supposed to be pitching, Head of the Class, Baseball America's new college baseball book. Uh, make sure to check that out. You can pre order it at store.baseballamerica.com. Uh, it will be out later this fall, looking back at the last four decades of college baseball. All the best teams, players, coaches, we're covering it all. It's a fun trip down memory lane. And if you have made it this far through a college podcast, college baseball podcast, I feel like you would definitely get something out of it. So again, that's store.baseballamerica.com, and it is available there for pre-order. Uh, we want to thank Cam Shepard again for joining us today on the latest edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. Uh, we want to thank you for listening, and we will be back here next week. I believe I will be in Jupiter for the perfect game tournament later this week into next week. I believe, however, we will still be able to have a podcast for you uh, again though because of the uncertainty the best way to ensure when you get the next one though is to be subscribed to the podcast on your favorite podcasting app so joe and i will be back to talk to you then we want to thank you for listening again talk to you
0: soon